Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHCS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Well, every single week we've been doing this now since 2017. We had a pilot in December of 2016, but we've had a show every single week since January 2017. And each week we discuss business on our show. We try to interview somebody from a specific field, teaching somebody maybe Facebook advertising one week, marketing, sales, operations, any type of subject we do every week. We also interview founders and startup people that just some new concept that's out there that you may or may not have heard of. And each week we try to help you out. That's what the Ask Brian show is all about. But everybody asks, why is Ask Brian spelled A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N? Most people will say, when I heard Brian, I thought it was B-R-Y-A-N or B-R-I-N. I never heard of E unless I was some island and I go to the O'Brien's pub down the street. <laughs> so it's not a sponsor of this podcast, by the way, but they get a lot of free posts. Well, I'm thinking of changing legal steps to O'Brien's legal steps. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> Where you can pub LaSalle's the services that it offers. <laughs> yeah, we can do step-by-step how to get drunk. <laughs> Yes, or what to do if you get in legal trouble if you get drunk. <laughs> and if you are drunk, I handle DUI, so call me. one 800 But hey, there is a reason that we spell Brian with an E. And one of them is, you know, I've been traveling a good bit recently, so I've really missed our engineer. So I just want to give a shout out for the big E engineer. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's just always my favorite. (laughs) And she does have an E in her name as well. I do, that's true. Even better. No, if if you buy a vowel, right? I do. And it's Jennifer. You get I two know. E's. You're, you're set and ready to go. Big money. Don't bid an A, though. Big money. Well, <laughs> There's no A in Jennifer. Me, I, need to, I need to bring in a, uh, a new E into our dialogue because I'm just happy to have some more estrogen in the room. Where's a beep? No, no. Suddenly I can't find that, that button. There. I certainly got. I certainly got the buttons. Incorrect. I certainly know how to press buttons. <laughs> That's what I'm all about: pressing <laughs> buttons. <laughs> all right. So we move on. I am also happy to say that the other big E that we have with Ask Brian is our experts, and our experts are really what drives the show. And if you're not familiar with our mathematical formula that Peter just likes to challenge me with every week. That's I'm an algorithm, but go ahead. Algorithm, mathematics, formula. <laughs> it's the key to success and what makes you an expert. And our guest today is certainly an expert and overqualified for this criteria. But if you are working in your industry, we 
estimate to become expert status, you need to put in about 10,000 hours of experience within your category. And that breaks down to roughly 40 hours a week over the course of five years. But we know that experts, especially startups, entrepreneurs, are actually doing way more than 40 hours a week, especially when they're launching and starting up their businesses. So we think that's closer to like a three-year window, but most of our experts have like a three-zero-year window to a lot of their expertise. But we are very excited to have our experts because they provide a lot of education for our audiences, right? Absolutely. We're here to educate people and teach people something. Today, we're going to be teaching people about something called S-E-O. Oh, he's got an E in there, too. Wow. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think that that requires some serious enthusiasm. And excitement! <laughs> well, okay, then. There is some excitement ahead for us when we were talking about SEO. And I also would just like to say that we're really big on empathy around our show, even though Peter doesn't have any. What is that? Um, I have a lot of empathy. And I have a lot of empathy for our guests who have to sit through this very long introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it could be quicker if you went quicker. Another lack of empathy there. But there's there's a lot of ease that we have to cover. And probably now would be a good time to even mention my favorite one, right? Well, I watched that movie and I watched the play, believe it or not, on Broadway. And it was Grease Lightning is... Well, Grease Lightning is, but we also are... Oh, that's true, too. And what are we? (laughs) Electrifying. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, now if our guest hasn't said, what did I get myself into? Why am I here? I'll never do that again. If he's here, Dave, are you there? I'm here. Hello, Brian. All right. Tracy. Yeah. Great. Great to have you on. Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, as we said, there is an E in SEO. Of course, that refers to an engine. But people want to know a little bit about your background. So, Dave, just give a little bit about your background. You know, I know something about SEO, but how did you get into SEO? What was your business background prior? I um, graduated from university and then did a master's where I specialized in marketing. Um, After a few years in the job market, about 2013, I started up my own marketing company where I helped small businesses in B2B and B2C markets get their website ranking higher on Google, get traffic to them and make sales. Wow. Did you just start your business on your own or did you just have, were there any partners or people involved? No, literally I I decided I was going to start my business, open up my laptop and I was in business, quite literally like that. Well, that's Uh, got to be frightening, you know. I mean, when you started this business was what, 2013? Yeah, 2013. Okay. So how did you figure you were going to pay for your rent and get food on the table when you just started out and you had nothing? Um, Just. Then I was going to do it, and within three months, I was I was there. That you know, a lot of business advice says, "Oh, you've got to have at least three months' wages." But you can, if you dedicate enough, you can start a business day one, and within three months, you can automatically be on that salary that you want to have. So it, was, um, it just takes dedication, like you're saying. A lot of entrepreneurs they don't work forty hour a week; they can work sixty, seventy hours a week, and it's tiring at times. But if you've got a drive to do something, you can achieve it. 
Now, was this just online or, or are we doing marketing elsewhere besides online? Offline as well? Um, I do offline. I do training courses with local companies, um, training them on things like SEO and blogging and email marketing and things like that. Um, but most of the work is done online. I think I recall you had a couple of businesses too that you just didn't start one business. Did you start them all together? Yeah, I, I'm a bit – I like my work. <laughs> I like working. And so um, I've had an e-commerce shop before, a commerce store before, which I sold in 2019. And I also run a reptile breeding company, um, breeding uh, geckos and snakes um, to, the tra- uh, to consumers here in the UK. Well, I think Geico wants to get a hold of you. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> their mascot is the gecko. What field was the e-commerce in? What type of products? Electronics? Uh... It was um, with DIY teddy bear kits. Do-it-yourself teddy bear kits. Wow. Yeah. You don't so, think there's a market for don't that? Know if in America you have Build-A-Bear? Yes. I've heard of Build-A-Bear, actually. Yeah. So, like Build-A-Bear. I, I, waited, in line. I waited in line for, like... Felt like days, but was several hours for my nephew's one-year-old birthday Pittsburgh Steeler build a bear. So yes, I do know build a bear. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we got the company up to front page of Google, and then we sold the company. Wow, wow. So let's go a little bit about that one because that's that's a good one and, and a good background story here. So you have a do-it-yourself thing that did that start also in like 2012, 2013 time, or was it later? That. Started about 2017. 2017. Okay, so in two yeah. years, it takes nothing. So first of all, A, how do you get your first customer? So me and my wife set that company up together on that one. And what we did is that we built the website, and then we analyzed what kind of keywords we needed to do. We built a social media profile, and we just basically tried to think about how the customer wanted to get hold of us, what search terms they were looking for, what kind of content they wanted, and built content around that. Within a couple of months, we had our first customers coming in, ordering online. It really was as simple as trying to find the content that the customer wanted. So how does the customer find that content? You're creating this content, so, right? And you're putting it on your website. You'd right? be surprised that, you know, Google is such a powerful search engine that what happens is that they'll put people put in the search query on it, as we all know, and it's finding those search terms that they want. So some of the search terms for that one was birthday party ideas. And some of them were, you know, build a bear, very simply. But you had to also find the other keywords because build a bear is such a highly competitive keyword. It gets a lot of searches per month, but what happens is, you've got a lot of competition around it and trying to fight that competition, you're going against the fly. You're never going to be able to do it when you're such a small business and you're new to things. So we found keywords that people were using instead of that. So like DIY bear kit or make a bear at home. And they had a lot less traffic uh, competition, but a good rate of traffic. It wasn't quite as much as you were going to get with Build a Bear. But it was the levels which started to bring traffic in. And what happened is that that then built authority up for the website. Wow. So can you explain quickly, not too long, what is domain authority? People don't know what that means. I do, but a lot of people don't. So can you quickly go over what it is? And, and usually I would imagine that when a site starts off, it's a one or a zero. 
and the maximum is 100, that I know. But can you explain a little more about domain authority and what that means? So domain authority is a score that's given to a website on how much Google thinks you are relevant and popular almost. And it's based on basically how many kind of upvotes you get by links being built into you. As you say, it's almost exponential. It starts off very low and it goes up to 100. And really websites, if they want to start being successful, they have to start trying to get to that 20 to 30 to start seeing the good results. Um, Very few get up to the high numbers. So what was the highest number that you had for two years before you sold the company? What was the domain authority for the teddy bear? Do it yourself. It was relatively low. It was only around about 13, I think. But because the industry was dominated by one big player and there were only a few little players, the domain authority in the industry didn't need to be too high. But as that website grows, because we put it in a good stead, that domain authority will only grow over time because the length of time your domain's out there, the stronger the domain authority gets as well. And so you mentioned links and backlinks. Explain that. I mean, people understand what a link is. I think they do. Basically, you have an article or you have something, you say, you know, titty bears are great to build on your own or something, and then it links to that, to your site, whatever, or something. But explain to people how that whole process works. How do you get links? So what happens is that when you have one website linking to yours, the domain authority from that website kind of gets passed on to you. So it's like good karma going to your website. So a lot of people concentrate on a huge number of links, but you're actually better off having a fewer, higher quality links into your website. And it can be done through numerous ways. You can get it organically from writing content and people link to that content, or you can actually go out there and ask people to link to your website. What about a pay-for-play system where, because I've heard some people, you can buy links from people, right? We'll give you a link and you pay us X dollars. Is that out there and how does that work? Yes, you can buy links, but there are issues with that is that you've got to make sure that the quality of the links that you're kind of buying is reasonable. And what sometimes happens, there's a lot of scams out there where someone says, I can get your link on a DA67 website with Domain Authority 67. And it doesn't get there. It gets put on lots of smaller with zero domain authority or it gets put on a website with a high domain, but they then put it on as a nofollow. And a nofollow tag on a link means that Google won't pass that domain authority onto you, so it won't actually do you any benefit. So how do you lift your page? So, for instance, let's say you had do-it-yourself teddy bear, and I don't know what page you started out. Let's say you probably started out on page 10, maybe. I don't know. It's a guess, right? How does it go to page 4, to page 3, to page 2, to page 1? Just adding content and adding links is going to do it? Essentially, that's exactly how we've done it with numerous websites. You start creating content and you start building content that people want to read and people want to link to. And what you will find is gradually over time, the length of time that the article is out there, the number of links that you're building into it organically, it will start rising the page up. And what you need to also do is get those keywords on the page organized so they're optimized for the search queries that the consumer or the searcher is putting in. So I've also heard that some people get penalized because they're putting the keyword in, you know, 20 times into the article and they're saying like, you know, we don't want to learn about uh, uh, podcasting, right? And you're putting it in there to try to get your ranking higher. 
Is that correct, or, or there is no penalty, no matter how many keywords? Yeah, there's a keyword density which you need to kind of keep down to a sensible level. So that's roughly 1% to 2%. Generally speaking, we try to keep it down to 1% because it doesn't really need to be too high for Google to pick it up. What you want to do is try to keep that keyword in the first paragraph, the last paragraph, and at least one heading on a page. And that is all the keyword kind of density that you really need within a normal article. Besides linking, though, the other main area is content, right? So that I know there's one area is like a blog post or getting an article written on another website. Is there any other content that you can use to increase your ranking? Yeah, you can do landing pages, which are like website pages where you can sell an ebook or give a gift and that helps you collect leads. Or you can use social media can actually help to build inbound to do SEO. Things like Twitter. Twitter used to help with indexing on web pages. It used to help index pages about 97% quicker, which helped get that rank a little bit higher. You've also got sites like Facebook and LinkedIn that will also help. Okay. So, Dave, we've gotten a lot of questions from our audience, and one of them is really focused on content for SEO. Let's start with that. One of your businesses does a really excellent job with their content. Can you connect the dots for us on how important creating content is and how that correlates with the SEO uh, success? Yes. So one of the most important things to remember with writing online or or having a business online is that customers aren't always going to be searching for product. A lot of the time they're searching for solutions or they're asking questions. And content like blogs and articles is a really good way to connect with your audience because you can answer the questions that the customer's got. So our reptile breeding business, there's a lot of questions which are based around things like what is a Max Snow leopard gecko or what is an eclipse uh, leopard gecko. But there aren't that many articles online which answer that. So we took advantage of that and we wrote our uh, articles which literally asked what is a leopard gecko max snow or what is an eclipse leopard gecko and because of that we built in three times the amount of traffic within a couple of months because people were searching for that and we were ranking the top straight away and it suddenly started getting the queries in and it starts getting the traffic from across the world and even though we're only uk but the traffic across the world is really helpful and so tell me again so how was the content conversions happening so are you accrediting the content to the success of building awareness around the brand or was it actually converting into customers and new revenue? So what it does, it does a couple of things. Number one, it creates awareness around the brand and it creates a solution for the customer which kind of builds that kind of rapport with them. With online, it really takes between five and 12 interactions before you're going to make that conversion. So the more content you get out there, the more chances you have of having that interaction with them. So they may come on your website two or three times before they actually pick up the phone and say, actually, I want to buy from you. And the third thing is, is that it creates that kind of dominance on Google. So if you do some searches, you know, what is, um, I don't know, say you're running a plumbing business and you how to fix a leaky pipe and you've got several articles which detail different ways of fixing a leaky pipe or different things, you are going to dominate that front page if you get those keywords right and you get the questions right. And so 
when you're talking about putting various pieces of content, do you consider that specifically focused on blog posts or are you considering other pieces of content such as social media and videos like live streams and things like that? Does any of that help? I know it helps with brand awareness, but does any of that help with SEO at all? Yeah, so the blog post is the main focus. That's one of the best things that Google can actually index. And they can't really index videos very well, but when you have a video on a blog post, that can help elevate it on the rankings because Google likes videos. And social media really is a signpost to your blog post. So you want to do social media around your blog post, but really that's just signposting people who are connected with you on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, now known as X and all those things to your blog post so you get more initial traffic. So if you were to walk us through, because uh, there's so many different interpretations of a blog post, there's 500-word blog post, 1,500-word blog post. Is there a particular format that people should take into consideration when having blogs written for their website? So we like to try to do a strategy, and this is what we do for our own websites and what we do for client websites, is that we like to have a mixture because some people are going to be um, looking for a very quick read, whereas other people want more in-depth articles. So we like to do a few 500-word ones, which may answer a very specific question. So if we're doing multiple on maybe how long should a blog post be, and that could be quite a short one. And then you want to do quite long articles for those who want to really deep down into the subject and you can do something on like a how to create a content strategy plan for 12 months. And by doing that, you're creating content for both ones you just want the two minute read and ones you want the five, 10 minute read. And it helps with the SEO as well because you can link the smaller ones into the larger articles and those inbound links can also help you push your content up higher on the rankings. Okay, so that's a great suggestion. I've never heard that before. So you would actually you might have a more in-depth blog post, and then within that blog post, there might be a subject matter that you've written a shorter blog post on. So in that longer blog post, you would hyperlink to the shorter blog post to be able to then increase visibility around that shorter post as well, and that actually helps with rankings? Yeah. Yeah, and you can do it both ways. You can have the shorter ones linking to the big ones, and you can have the big ones also linking to the shorter ones, and it just elevates the whole site's content up. Tracy, we're going to give you a quiz um, in, in a couple of minutes, so you can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm paying very close attention to you didn't know, because that's why I was so engrossed in what you were saying. I was thinking about my own blog post strategy <laughs> and how we can make it more optimized. So that's great. What is the average cost to pay a blog writer, let's say, I know that it happens on either per word or, or per hour or, or retainer, but like, what is the average investment someone would spend to have their blog post written for them? Depending on the length, you're looking at somewhere between $50 and about $100. Really, that's what you really need to be spending on a blog post. Okay. Based on that, kind of walking through it from a budgeting and from a strategy perspective, how many blogs should you be adding to your website a month, let's say, in order to really optimize them for SEO? So a lot of research has been done into this. Essentially, the kind of 
the thing that research has found is that you should be doing about 15 per month. Um, but a lot of businesses struggle with that. So what we say is that as long as you get one in at least per week, you're going to be doing better than not doing any at all. Um, but if you can get it to 15 per month, you're going to be in a lot stronger position in three, six months' time. Wow, 15 a month. That's a lot. <laughs> it's every other day. It is a lot. It's every other day. How do you find a blog writer? Well, you can go to my website and uh, we can help. <laughs> no plug in there. <laughs> no, no plug in there. Um, the, there's, there's writers. There are often writers uh, found in the local community. If you go to business networking, you can often find one or two blog writers there. You can go to online marketplaces like Upwork, where there's lots of blog writers that you can choose from, or even look on LinkedIn where there's a lot of freelance blog writers who are listed on there. You can search for them and you can talk to them for free on there and find the one that you want. So give us two questions or three questions that you would want to know from a person writing blog posts for you, what you think so that you know if they really know what they're doing. So what we tend to ask is if we need to hire out a freelancer, because we don't do, we haven't done all the work ourselves, there are certain subjects that we ask others to come in for is we ask about their process so are they going to just write it fly or do they need to have a brief written for them and um, we also ask about revisions because you know if you're asking a blog writer they may not be the expert in your industry the blog writer they might need some help or they might get something that's slightly wrong and you might want to request a revision. Sometimes blog writers don't do that or they charge extra for it. A good blog writer should make the revisions until you're happy and always make sure you are getting one that knows how to do the SEO because not all blog writers are focused on the SEO. Sometimes they're focused more on just getting the content out there and they don't think about the SEO all day. As Tracy mentioned earlier, or yourself, you know, keyword stuffing is sometimes used. How do you know? Um, and a new question that's coming up now is actually about AI about whether or not they're going to use AI within their writing. That's a big one, right? I mean, how do you know that the person you're hiring isn't just going to go to AI and just have the article written for you? And if they do, how is it going to affect you with Google? That's a very big question. It's very topical. Um, I actually have a lot of clients who come to me when they first say, that that's the big question they ask, are you going to use AI? And we actually don't use AI at all. Everything that we write, we write with our own hands, and it's important. AI can still make a lot of mistakes. It can still put in weird things in um, blog posts. And I can tell, you can read the difference between what's being written naturally and what's being written by AI. It sounds incredibly robotic, like it's not quite on there with the English yet. It, I can see the value of AI in doing research in some respects, but you don't get that expertise as a blog writer if you're not doing research yourself. So. At the moment, we're not really for AI, but you can definitely tell when AI is being used. The next question is, you're telling us about SEO and, and blog, right? How does a client know? What can they look for to see whether or not it's good for SEO or not? SEO has to be used all the time, and it's got to be used within every blog post, pace you write. And if you don't have the skills, you, you're going to have to hire someone to at least consult with you and teach you how to do it or to do it, do it for you. Okay, great. So I have a question. We were talking about hiring blog writers that you want to confirm that they have SEO 
and optimization experience within the content creation and not overstepping keywords and things like that. What would you do in a situation, let's say, for example, that you've been doing all of your things in-house because that's what worked best for you, but now you want to maybe go and retroactively have blogs optimized. Is that something that is a common service or a common request that people ask for is not having to start from scratch with new blog posts maybe so much, but really optimizing their existing blog posts? Do you recommend doing that or do you recommend just starting like with a new strategy going forward? With the most most part, I would actually agree that you should go back and adjust your blog post that you've done before. Um, Google seems to like it. They like you updating your post. It shows that you're staying current. And it means that you're not kind of wasting the content that you've already got there because every time you put that blog post on there, the longer it's on, on your site for, the more authority it's gaining. So going back and adjusting it and making it more relevant for now, adding in new information, taking out outdated information is a really good idea. And it's a service that we do and it's a service that many blog writers should do. And is the budget around that the same as if you were writing that, that from scratch, that 50 to $100 per blog post? Or do you do like a bundle when you have to retroactively update people's copy? It depends on the level of quality of the original. Um, sometimes they can be really easy to adjust that actually you can do them as a bundle for a cheaper price. But sometimes, especially if they're years and years old, so you're talking five, six years old, sometimes you actually have to almost strip them to the bare bones and rewrite in loads more information so it takes a lot more work. So it becomes that 50 to to $100 mark again. But okay. you should speak to a blog writer to discuss and let them have a look and see what they think um, they can do. Great. Well, you've been such an amazing guest, and I know we have time for a couple more questions. But before we do that, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening, not only live right now, but also to the podcast replay, has the opportunity to continue this conversation with you. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? So they can visit our website, which is twofeetmarketing.com. That's T-W-O-F-E-E-T-M-A-R-K-E-T-I-N-G.com. And all our contact details are email and Facebook is on there. You can also catch me on LinkedIn at David Overage. That's so great. And if you are um, in the midst of driving your car in traffic, we don't want you to be writing this down as we're talking. So we want to make sure that you know that you can get this information in the podcast as well as the show notes for the podcast, all the links and the contact information. So if you haven't discovered our podcast, please go to Apple, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, wherever you consume your podcast content. Search for the Ask Brian podcast, and of course, that's A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N, and you can grab this episode and tons of our back catalog of episodes, and we also always appreciate those five-star reviews if you feel so um, inclined to give us one of those, and if you don't, let us know directly why not, (laughs) because we only like the five-star reviews, right, Peter? (laughs) Absolutely, but I don't know know why anyone wouldn't give a five-star. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. All right, so we have about another minute and 15 seconds left. Dave, a couple questions we do have, right? Regarding the SEO ranking, right, mm-hmm. you mentioned a couple of great things that you've done in you know, a couple of months you were ranking whatever. 
But what is the standard? Is that the standard? I would think that probably the average person is going to take six months to a year before they start moving. And so what's a reasonable expectation? It can depend on the industry, but you know, research has found that sometimes it can take up to a year for a blog post to appear on the first page. But you can do it relatively quickly if you target those keywords right. So what you want to do is target keywords which have low competition, that have good traffic. And that's where you're going to get ranking on the first page quicker. And you just mentioned third page, and we have about 30 seconds left. What is the third page significance? The first page is the when someone types in the search, it comes straight onto that first 10 results that come up. Well, unfortunately, we only have eight seconds left, so we're going to have to say goodbye. Thank you very much, Dave. You're listening to the S. Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Anybody needs any more information, they can go to our, our show notes. Thanks a lot. Over and out. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.